do you ever feel like sometimes you want to make meaningful connections with your colleagues or your boss at work and it's just difficult? Either there's no time for it in the stress of all the tasks that have to be completed or it just feels awkward, uncomfortable, or challenging, especially when you're trying to make connection and talk about things that are difficult like conflicts or disagreements in the workplace. So this week in Let's Make Work Human, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Why is it so hard to connect with each other when actually we all have a basic human need to connect with each other? In particular, what makes it so hard to connect sometimes at work? Let's dig in. Today's workplaces are increasingly toxic. It can feel like every semblance of humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules. On Let's Make Work Human, we believe that companies can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. How do leaders who care create unbreakable workplace cultures brimming with belonging, transparency, joy, flexibility, purpose, care, and results? This show has the answers. Walking the path of true people leadership requires unbreakable connections and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old habits. I'm May Long Rats. I go by May. I'm a millennial with a partner named Sam and a toddler named Crosley. I'm a determined optimist. I believe in the power of community and rest. I'm a cis Chinese mixed race woman. I was grown in the Mountain West. I'm an award-winning artist, a mother, a coach, and a DEIJ facilitator. I co-host the show with my friend, award-winning entrepreneur, best-selling author, baby boomer, culture expert, and beekeeper, Mo Carrick. Together, we're going to take a radical approach to liberating working mothers, abolishing toxic workplace cultures, and so much more. Join us for an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for human beings who work there. We're on a mission to restore humanity to work one magnificent people leader at a time. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. All right. Hi, Mo. Hello, May. I have COVID. Oh. I just want you to know in case I cough on the microphone. I'm sorry. You're not alone. Well, and I was thinking this morning, I was saying to my husband, who also has COVID, it really makes you realize what a privilege it is when you're healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, because most of the time I just go through my life and I'm feeling really pretty well. And then when I don't feel well, I'm like such a big old baby. And some people have, you know, feel not well all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel yeah. that well right now, but I, it could be much worse. Well, yeah, I'm glad it's not much worse. But also the thing it brings up for me when you're sick is um, that we're screwed when you're sick. <laughs> so. Like the team, literally, we had a conversation where I was like, she doesn't have COVID yet. She hasn't tested positive yet. But if she tests positive, like all y'all should be just praying that it's not really, really bad. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, totally. I'm like, yeah, for her well-being. And also, our company is Mo. So I don't know if I need to remind y'all, but we don't have jobs if we don't have Mo. So she needs to survive. (laughs) Everybody was like instantly sobered. I'm like, sorry, I didn't mean for that to be so serious, but... Like it's serious. This is serious. Oh. We need our boss to not be very, very, very sick. And well, I think you I. all could prevail for quite some time without me, but I I do appreciate that support. But, that must be why they both texted me. How are you feeling? I, well, good. They should have. But that's <laughs> also, I mean, I think that's something that this whole world of work has had to kind of reckon with. And I actually haven't seen very many people talk about it. It's like, what it's like when your people around you are just getting very, very, very sick or people in their life are getting very, very sick and we're just carrying on. Wow. You know, it is a wild thing, um, which leads us kind of into our topic today, which the question is, why is connection so hard? <laughs> and you have context around this question, but as I'm like on my soapbox already, I just will take it a little bit farther that I think that we as a society have forgotten a little bit of how big this moment that we are in is Mm. and how important connection is. Because as I'm watching the like captain of our ship be slightly unwell, I'm reminded that connection is uh, all we have. So please, could we please foster it and take care of it? Um, (laughs) And that we're going through a big time, you know, in the world right Mm -hmm. now and caring for each other is important. Yeah. Anyways, off to your context. Why is connection so hard? Why did you choose that question? 
Well, the question has been surfacing for me a lot. It builds on our most recent podcast episode about hybrid work because a lot of our clients are wanting to talk about hybrid work, what's working, what's not working, where they feel stretched, where they feel good. And it's a permanent piece of language that I think is in our system right now, but it's not it's not that we don't have a common definition of what hybrid work is. And one of the things that we're noticing is that it is impacting how we connect with other human beings in the workplace. But also it's, for me, it's shown a light on just how difficult it is to have meaningful connection at work, human to human, which is one of the reasons why I started the research and the writing that I did when we wrote Fit Matters, How to Love Your Job. When I say we, I mean Cammie Dunaway and I, uh, my co-author and friend, and also when I wrote Brave Face Workplace was that I was, you know, before COVID-19, I was sitting with clients and watching their cultures be in varying degrees of health and toxicity and feeling like this doesn't have to be so hard. Like people shouldn't be miserable at work. And what are the conditions in which we know they are thriving at work? And so roll forward. And now I was recently with two different groups of clients who were talking about their leadership roles. And one of them was really stuck on this idea of like, what does it mean to lead for connection? And it got me thinking like, what does it mean to lead for connection or to partner for connection? Because I, I actually think that when you have that intention, Mm-hmm. In workplace, but also at home, you you are doing things differently than if you're mm-hmm. leading or partnering for something else, like for results or for forward progress on goals or for task completion. I think those mm-hmm. are different, no less valuable, but they're different than leading for connection. So, but it seems really hard in workplaces, large and small, to have connection flow smoothly between people, or yeah, or even be a goal. Right. That has value in and of itself. Yeah. We spend most of our time at work. I see you more than I see Sarah Mark Crosley during the week. Right. So being not connected to your team or that not being the goal seems seems suffocating, to be honest. If it's only results driven, right? And it's not connection. And connection isn't one of the results. I don't know. Yeah. My brain's all in a twist about that. How that could even... I don't know. Don't, wouldn't well, you connect in the misery? <laughs> right, right. Well, it's such a primal need. I think that's what I'm sitting with right now is I deal with my own like isolation because of COVID, you know, so I've had to cancel some work, um, some work this week. I was supposed to be with clients in person. I was supposed to take my horse Callahan out to the barn um, to meet a new trainer. He's going to be in training while I'm gone. I had to cancel, uh, you know, um, an aesthetic appointment. And I, and I'm noticing like I, I'm, it's just me at home with my husband and you guys, my team and clients <laughs> that I'm meeting with on Zoom. And I'm so grateful for those moments because um, I really do take for granted the ways in which I connect with other humans. And so it, it reminds me that it's very primal. Our need for human to human contact is, is it exists in all of us and it's always under the hood. Mm-hmm. And I'm really struck. We just came before we recorded this podcast from a staff meeting. And I was really struck with the conversation about one of our teammates who felt really unseen and undervalued when we didn't see her birthday, didn't notice her birthday, didn't acknowledge it. And, you know, we talked about how she should feel free to express her needs if she had that expectation. But as the CEO, I found myself thinking, wow, this employee, what she's really saying is, I don't feel that connected to you all because you missed an important day to me. Mm-hmm. And it hurt. And at first I was like, yeah, well, whatever. But then I was like, no, that really, that's mm-hmm. how she feels connected. And we can do better. I can do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do better. Mm-hmm. Well, I think sometimes leading for connection sometimes feel well that feels like it should be on a poster with a mountain in the background and everybody's like high-fiving or something you know (laughs) I think it becomes this like very large thing very quickly when actually it's a very small thing it's very Mm. small actions right which is what you say about trust but I think connection is very similar it's sending the text when you just think of that person it's knowing what their kid's name is it's you know and those things all actually build connection Right. And do you think connection and trust are the same? Not necessarily, because I think trust is a currency that probably builds more over time, whereas I think of connection as kind of the ways in which we see and feel each other. I think they are related, like the more we are connecting in a human-to-human way, the more likely we are to build trust. But I think that 
leaders in particular, our our clients and colleagues, I think that we see in this space often minimize or undervalue the skills they have at connecting with other human beings as if they're not relevant to their very important job of leading, or even if I'm not a people leader, the job of being a good team member. Mm. Um, I think that there's a tendency to think that my skill at connecting is not, is, I don't think it's something people think about. Whoa. Do you think it's a skill or do you think people are born being able to connect better than other people? I think it's a skill. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a skill too. I think it's an, like you're saying, an undervalued skill. So I don't know that very many people work out that muscle. Yeah. I think some people like, you know, we joke that my partner, Sam, like hates people. (laughs) Like there's too much people talking. There's too too many of the things. It's it's dawning on him now that like he might have to run for school board someday. Mm. He wants to see actual change in the world because he is a white-bodied male hetero guy. So he might just have to do that. But that requires so much people talking that it makes him want to rip his own arm off. Mm. So I think there are all this to say that like the connection required to be out there in the world is a skill that is also very difficult because some people I think have gotten to practice it more or have been required to practice it more. Um, Women, uh, historically marginalized groups, you know, people that have to work in a currency, a social currency that requires much more like preamble to getting something done. Does that make sense? Well, yes. And there's some enculturation there, I think, particularly for one group you mentioned, which is for women, which is that almost like I think women, white women especially, but I think it's probably true for many other groups of women that the part of how we show up in the world is for connection. Like we should be creating connection with others, taking care of our families, being um, a caregiver or being supportive of people. I think what you're saying about your partner, Sam, is really interesting because I think actually in men, it's possible that the, the value of connecting is even lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, for men. And so they don't therefore learn those skills. And what I've seen, and as you know, I've talked about this publicly on my TED talk and things is that like men are very, as a result, we have an epidemic of loneliness right now that disproportionately impacts men. And I can't find my, I can't help but sit and think with, you know, is that because men are not being given the permission, the room or the encouragement or the tools to form the real human connections? when they're young, the way that women are. And I, you know, I don't know if it's that binary, but I'm also struck with something that you implied about your partner, which is that I think sometimes we confuse like introversion and extroversion with being good at connecting and not being good at connecting. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how you see that because I actually have thought a lot about that and, um, and I'm not sure where I sit on it, but do you think that introverts struggle more with connection or are harder to connect with because of their lower need for social interaction? Actually, how do you see that? Oh, no. I mean, sometimes I think extroverts are actually the hardest to connect with because mm-hmm. their trains are already barreling down the rails, you know, yeah. and you're either on the train or you're not on the train. Mm-hmm. And it can be difficult unless you're going that pace to connect with them. And some of the most meaningful connections I have in my life are with introverts because they're like taking the time to go at the pace that is necessary for that relationship to, to birth, you know, mm-hmm. like you are an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, who's learned to be an extrovert. I'm an introvert that's learned how to be an extrovert. My mom is an introvert. My brother's an extrovert. Right? Like <laughs> these people in my life, Sam's an introvert. But um, I think in, in terms of work, though, I think we don't give the introverts enough credit yeah. for the connection that they can build just yeah. by the pace that they hold. Mm. Um, so we like divide those from like, oh, that's like personal personal life connection and like but like business wise, he's like not so good, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't know, cuts us down at the knees a little. Uh, I, I I would tend to agree. I mean, I I feel that the connection, the the human to human connection we're talking about, feeling seen, like the word that keeps popping up in my mind is like connection is about feeling seen, about somebody mm-hmm. believing me and and seeing me fully. And I feel like that is equally important across personality type, introvert, extrovert, across gender, gender identity, across race. I feel like our human need for connection, for feeling seen is the same mm-hmm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think it manifests in different ways. And I love what you said actually about extroverts. I'm married to an extrovert. And I would say that sometimes with Jim and I, in our personal relationship, you're right. It is harder for me to sometimes really see him because it's it's underneath a lot of words that can mask the real authentic, heartfelt um, emotion or 
interaction or need. And, and I have to, I sometimes feel like I have to be even more present with him as an extrovert than I do sometimes mm-hmm. some of my family and friends that are introverts where it's, they're not talking that much. So when they do talk, you know, I'm really listening. Um, so I, I wonder about how much we may misunderstand about connection based on some of our, some of the categories we put each other in. Totally. I got two questions. One's a little one and one's a big one. Here's the little <laughs> one. We think that we can build trust without connection. Okay. I short question. <laughs> I don't think so because, because, and I'm thinking it through in my mind, because, and we're talking about not predictive trust. We're talking about vulnerability-based trust, right? Because, right. you know, predictive trust is like, I can go to Starbucks and get the same quality of coffee every day, whether I'm in Singapore or Bend, Oregon. So that's predictive trust. We're talking about vulnerability-based trust, which is like, um, that I'm, that I'm willing and able to show up authentically as I am and be seen by you. I think in order to do that, I have to have some level of connection, um, some, and also some willingness to show up unguarded unprotected, Mm. um, which is where I think the trouble with connection comes for many of us is that we, because of our insecurities, our fears, we don't want to be seen as we really are. So we show up in ways that are self-protected and then it keeps us at a distance from people. Because we're worried that we're not going to connect with them or that they're going to not connect with us if we show our true selves. I don't know. I think that underneath the hood, all of us are terribly afraid we're going to be cut out from the herd. We're going to be, we're going to somehow get a message that we are not good enough to be connected with somebody or somebody's. And I think that fear leads us to lots of self-protection because we want so much to be part of the herd, part of the group, part of the family or the community. So I think it's our fear of disconnection that sometimes really requires us to put up all the self-protection that keeps us from getting the connection we crave. (laughs) Well, here's the larger question. I have a lot of internet friends. Yeah. Like most of the connection that I have right now since the last two and a half years and becoming a mom and having a toddler and being locked in my house with said toddler Mm. and living in rural Arizona where um, the politics don't necessarily align with mine have required me to make many online friends. Mm. Um, Talk to me about what your initial boomer reaction is to that because there is a lot of talk about hybrid work and that we have to have these connections with people in person and that they're not Mm. the same. Work-wise, I mean, you and I are, are... We've been remote. We're fine, right? We're connected. Would we have more fun in person? Yeah, probably. But we're we're doing well, right? And my internet friends and I are very connected. So my personal data, my personal life data is that I feel very connected to people that I have never seen their legs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And whether or not their lives are real on the internet, I don't really know, but I'm trusting that they are because yeah. of the connection that I have if we go based off of what you just said. Yeah. But what is your lived experience based off of how you build connection? Do you have to be in person with them? No, no, I, I, I don't think so. I just Googled it. I just Googled <laughs> it. I Googled connection because I'm like, what the heck are we talking about here? And here's what I came up with. Connection, according to the dictionary on the Google, the Oxford Dictionary says, a relationship in which a person, thing, or idea is linked or associated with something else. Also a supplier of narcotics. Oh, <laughs> So that's interesting that that's that what we're saying. seems easier than the one we're talking about, actually. Yes, it is very interesting. And and so that definition is, you know, leaves, I think we need to rewrite the definition. Let's, let's reach out to Oxford right away, right? Because we're not talking about either of those things, really. We're not talking just about the state of being connected. We're talking about feeling seen. Although I suppose LinkedIn being associated with something else. So, so to answer your question, I do believe you that your internet friends are as valid as your in-person friends. And I think this is one of the reasons why I want to challenge a lot of the, um, the CEOs and the, the pundits that are out there saying that hybrid work is not good for us. Because I actually, I don't think it's hybrid work. I think it's poor leadership and ineffective team development. Mm-hmm. There, I said it. Now we can just stop now. All right. Uh, louder <laughs> for the people in that. It's not actually. It's I not don't think Zoom. so. It's no, not it's not. It's not the Zoom. Now, it is true that we know that we can, like, I can't wait 
to see you. Like I can't wait and to see your baby. And you know, it's been two and a half years since I saw you and I just can't, well, that's not true. I saw you one time. We had a client meeting one time in between, but I didn't get to meet. Yeah. didn't get to meet Cross. Um, So I can't wait. I really look forward to that. But if for some reason our team retreat had to be canceled in November, I wouldn't feel a whole that I'm not connected to you. And I, and I feel the same about our other team members and our extended team of contractors that we partner with, because I feel like we, we do a pretty good job at facilitating ways of seeing each other and, and, and allowing each other to be seen in ways that are meaningful and material and they're significant. So if we were in the same physical location, I'm not sure that it would be any higher uh, in fact, I think what's probably more likely is that we would be going to our different cubicles, we'd have our busy days, and we probably still wouldn't have that much in-person time, which isn't to say that sometimes being in person is really what's needed. Um, I, but I don't think that it's a condition for connection that we be in person. I don't think that. Right. We're not arguing that in-person is not the way. <laughs> We're arguing. We can, the limbic response, brain response, hormonal response in-person gets us a bigger capacity to feel each other. But is it the only way that we can connect? No, I don't think so. I think we can have good connection. Teams can be healthy. Leaders can have really positive connection with their people um, from a, a virtual distance. Yeah. And I guess that's, this is me saying that like, if your workforce is looking very millennial and Gen Zers, we're used to it. Like right. all our friends are internet friends right now mm-hmm. and yep. we're used to it. We know more about the people that we know online than we do about mm-hmm. some of the people we see every day at the coffee shop. So I think just putting like, oh, well, our team isn't connected because we're all virtual is a cop out. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Totally. Our workforce is uh, younger than 40. Yes. Because actually what you're telling me is that in order to connect with people, you need to see them actually who mm-hmm. they are. To know them, yep. and there the pushback that I can hear in my mind is that takes a lot of time. And what is like what is too personal? You know, mm. what are you actually supposed to know about people? How much are you actually supposed to ask? Right. Well, <laughs> here, here's the thing. There's a lot there, right? First of all, I just want to go back a little bit. I was thinking about your question of can we have meaningful connection virtually? And I was struck with how, with the fact that my closest friends, some of my closest friends do not live in the same community as me. We live thousands of miles apart. And one of them I'm getting ready to go see in Scotland in a couple of weeks. And I know, and I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be lovely to be in the same space and time, but there's not a day that goes by when I don't feel the presence of that rich friendship in my life, even though we're not together. So to me, it makes sense then that at work, the same would be true if we're tending to that relationship. And I guess that's the word that comes up for me. It's like, are we tending to that relationship? And it builds to what you were saying before, which is like how much how vulnerable do I have to be? How much personal information do I have to share? And I guess I'm finding myself reactive and wanting to say, it's not about how much personal information you share. Mm. It's about your willingness to show up and be seen in the context that you're working or that you're living. And so for me, like in, in the context of work, I'll give you an example. Today at our team meeting, I shared one of my frustrations about accountabilities. It was vulnerable to me for me to do that because I didn't know the answer and I didn't want the team to feel criticized, but I also definitely need, needed help to figure mm-hmm. out how to handle this pr- scary problem. And so I could either have shown up with a formal plan that said, I as the CEO am now going to edict that this will be done this way. And so it is done. Or I could have done what I did, which is to say, here's a place I'm struggling and I need your help. To me, that's an appropriate level of connection that it wasn't probably that comfortable for you all because you had to sit with your CEO being unhappy and you had to work through some solutions that wasn't that fun to do. But it was much more productive than it would have been, I think, for me to just issue the edict of how you should do it, um, which may not have made sense to you given your roles. Not that I wouldn't ever do that. Sometimes I would do that. So I think people get wrapped around the axle that connection is all about disclosing all everything about your personal life. And that mm-hmm. doesn't feel true for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel true for me. I feel really connected with people that who don't know that much about my personal life in, a, in the context of work. And... Mm. And that's okay. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I just think that's really interesting that we, I mean, even me in asking that question, sometimes equate that 
letting someone know you means that you have to share that stuff with them, which isn't necessarily true, right? You didn't really share anything personal with us to build that connection around solving that problem today. Well, but it was personal. I, I It was personal though. It, what was personal was I'm struggling and I need yeah. help. I'm struggling yeah. and I need help. That was personal. I don't like yeah. the struggle. Yeah, but you didn't say like, yeah, I have COVID and I'm really sad. Okay. I'm tender. And when I get tender, then I start thinking about my personal childhood trauma, which by the way is this, <laughs> right? Which then all of us would have been like, we can solve this website problem immediately. Right? <laughs> and also we feel very nervous. <laughs> no. But I think sometimes we think that, right? Like yes. the more they know about my story, the more that they will want to do something or the yes. more connected they will feel to me, which yes. is not necessarily true, which is what you're saying. It's like, no, you don't have to tell me about your childhood trauma in order to get a website problem solved or to be connected, <laughs> right? You don't have to use your bad, scary, deep, dark stories as currency in order to build connection in your team. Instead, you just have to say things that feel vulnerable like I need help and I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Which as a leader of people is actually more vulnerable. Yes. Then, you know, like if you are new to the company and you actually do know the answer, speaking up in the meeting might actually be the vulnerable thing to do. Yeah. So I'm like aware that gauging vulnerability is different from wherever you sit inside of work. And that I, yeah. And I also just would like to say that nobody actually owes anyone vulnerability, right? Like you don't have to be vulnerable with us. And we don't have to be vulnerable with you. But if your goal is to lead for connection, yeah, then you have to do something. <laughs> you know? Well, right. Well, right. And part of that might be, it might be how I show up. And it might also be that I recognize the vulnerability of others. And this has been a big this has been a topic that's been top of my mind lately because of what I described earlier with some clients. And that is that based on identity and level, vulnerability mm-hmm. is quite different. So let me give you two examples. One is a senior leader in a healthcare system is struggling because their workforce is really burned out and really mm-hmm. fatigued. And they're like, let's call it their next level down. And we've seen this repeated in many of the systems we work yeah, in. To right? put it mildly. <laughs> to put it mildly. So this senior leader, this person, let's call them a, a level like a vice president or a senior vice president, is struggling because they know their people are hurting, but they they aren't, the. if you talk to the people, the people are saying, you're you don't understand what it's like to be us. Mm-hmm. So my feedback to that leader is, do you think you understand what it's like to be them? And if so, how can you let them know that you actually see them? And what that requires of that leader is actually to tap in a little bit to their own experience of this last two years and the vulnerability they felt that as a leader, because that's the best way, you know. So for a senior leader, an SVP, to say, let's to a, let's say to like a CNO, a chief nursing officer, to say like, I hear you, how hard it is right now. It's been hard for me too, and and it's it's uh, I've never faced leadership challenges like this, and sometimes I don't know what to do. Like that. That's very vulnerable. And that CNO is going to feel more connected to that leader rather than less. But I think what often senior leaders do in particular is that they think what they should do, they don't think about connection. They instead think about problem solving. Mm -hmm. So they say, here's what we're going to do about the burnout in your staff. We're going to give everybody four hours off a week. We're going to, and then the the CNO is like, you still don't get me. Mm -hmm. You still don't understand what I'm dealing with here and you're not feeling with me. And so I, I think that's where we miss sometimes. Similarly, if we think about dimensions of difference like race, if I'm partnering with a black woman and she makes a mistake, let's say she, let's say we are co-producing a document and hers has typos and she starts getting perfectionistic, like saying to me, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I feel really badly. There were so many typos. One of the things that is probably real is that her she may feel much more vulnerable for making mm-hmm. mistakes like that than me because being a person of color, a woman of color in particular, she may feel that she's held to a much, much higher standard. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me as a white woman, it might be, for me, I might sometimes just be like, oh, whatever, we made a few typos, sorry. And I'm not taking it as a deep vulnerability because I'm like, yeah, I'm not perfect. That's in some ways, that's a place of privilege for me. So the, yeah. the connection that we hold is the same, but the way we can show up authentically in it is different. So if we were going to say like, why is connection hard in leadership? It's hard because it requires vulnerability right. and consistent vulnerability. Yeah. Like you can't just be vulnerable once and then like, count <laughs> that as like money in the bank. You know, you're like, one time I told you that we were in it together. And like, you just don't remember. So no wonder it's hard. And also it is much easier to problem solve, right? It's like, yes, I've been thinking a lot about 
that quote from Glennon Doyle that we only control the things we don't trust mm. in terms of connection, you know, like the people are always looking for a shortcut. They're always looking for like a way to strong arm into their teams, like <laughs> how to do this, you know, like, let's just send them all to a dare to lead training. And then everybody will come out and like, they'll just be quoting Brene and everybody will be much happier and vulnerable. <laughs> and like, that's just not how it works. No, you know? that like the things we're trying to control are the things that we just don't trust. So why don't we actually trust that our, like our team can connect with us? Why don't we trust that we can be vulnerable and that someone will see us in it instead of all the other things we do? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, I think we're, I think it probably stems from, you know, that the primacy of the fear, you know, the fear of disconnection, but also I think there is a lot of enculturation, especially in the context of work where there's a lot of stories that we've all inherited that we should show up um, in a certain way at work, professional, having it all together. And so the vulnerability that might invite us into connection gets minimized because we're trying to look good. We're trying to make it look competent and look like we're doing a good job. And so we might be hiding what's underneath the surface. Like, you know, I'm feeling insecure about this, or I'm not, I'm not sure. But I think what I find ironic, and the reason this question is so fascinating to me is that it does seem as though connection is very hard for teams and leaders at work. And yet when they do it well, so much goodness happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much goodness happens where mm-hmm. teams feel seen and conflicts are resolved and big ideas are harnessed and you know made into meaning and people are loyal. I talked to somebody today who was talking about his company and he said that he had had a hard time in his personal life and that his colleagues at work had seen him and supported him through one of the darkest times of his life. And then he paused and he said, mm-hmm. and that's why I will never leave this company. Unless I have to, because I feel seen and connected. And so, you know, that, and that I think happens for people um, in when they have, when they do feel strong connection with the people that they work is it draws them to their company. Totally. What messes it up? Connection. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about armor, defensiveness, insecurity. Let me ask you a question that's related to this, because this would, this might help us get to how do we screw it up? Do you feel, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you feel connected to me as your boss and to the team? And what do you think you have done to create? If the answer is yes, what have you done to facilitate that? Hmm, what an interesting question that it's not what you have done. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I like my job. I love working with you. If we sold refrigerators, I would do it. If we sold fridge magnets, I would do it. Like I'm in your boat for life and I have been since the beginning. And I think for me, it's that I have, I continue to show up. Not like, not in like I'm showing up so brave. I show up to work every single day to be as adaptable as I possibly can, which actually is my highest and best skill that I could possibly offer you. Do I have many other skills? Sure. But the best skill I, I have is that I can do any of the things that you asked me to, because I'll figure it out, right? Like, and it's funny to say that my connection point is actually problem solving, Mm. but I'm offering you the creme de la creme. And I think (laughs) that's like how I, how I have fostered connection with you is that I showed up even in our first meeting. Remember you were like, hi there, stranger, um, who has (laughs) mildly stalked me. (laughs) Like what? I have a list of problems. I'm going to read them to you. And then you tell me what you can do. And you told me this list and I could probably do 50% of the things on the list. And I said, I can do all of them. And you were like, okay, great. You're hired. And I was like, but what I knew to be true is that I could figure it out. And if I really believe in the thing that we're doing and I believe in the person, I can figure it all out. Mm. Right. So not everybody gets the creme de la creme from me. I just say like, I don't know, Google it. <laughs> like I don't offer myself up as the person that's going to do it. So I think that would be my answer is that I, I've i let myself be the best version of myself that I could possibly be, no matter what kind of version of you is going to show up in mm-hmm. Zoom. Mm-hmm. Like if you show up and you're a real pain in my neck, I'm still going to figure it out. I'm still going to give you the creme de la creme because I believe, you know? But yeah, I think I think a lot of people that work here feel that way. What a privilege. And this is the perfect time for me to tell you that we're now going to sell refrigerators. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> than what we do. 
It's going to be a lot easier than selling what we sell to people. But I love refrigerators. Everybody needs a refrigerator. That's what, that's what we need to try to tell the story about how everybody needs non-toxic cultures and organizations that yeah. are good for people. We just have to, but, but I'm very touched by what you're saying. And I think that you are possibly minimizing a little bit of like what you bring. Uh, but I appreciate what you're saying around the like figure it, figure it out and the crumb to the crumb of your skill. Because I think that like what I experience in you and in our whole team is that you all bring quite a bit of curiosity and openness to how it is that we will figure it out together. And I think that's worth noting because I think sometimes to go back to what you said before, I think sometimes we outsource, we want to outsource connection. We say, like, if only you would show up this way, dear boss or dear partner at work, then I would feel happier because you would be reaching out to me and knowing me. And um, and I think that that's a fantasy because the reality is if we really want meaningful human connection at work and at home, we have to be willing to show up as ourselves. And that's how it begins, it, even if the other person isn't really doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a little bit of a booby trap like around that plan that is that like showing up as yourself doesn't mean saying, well, this is just how I am. Right. Which, right. Booby trap me. of that is like, um, no, that's like narcissistic behavior. Don't do that. Right. But, like, it's actually saying, like, I'm going to expose myself in a way that I hope you can just receive and see me. And if that requires feedback, we can have a conversation about that, you know? Yes. Because I think one of the most vulnerable things too is like taking and giving feedback, which totally. is something that a team is also going to have to do. So it, it you can't show up and say like, this is just how I am. Just deal with it. Right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. yeah. I think that's armor where if I'm like, hey, this is how it is, you know, whether it's in my marriage or my parenting or my work relationship, then I'm really underserving the connections that are possible because, you know, it, it ties into a value for me around uh, showing up with recognizing that I'm doing the best I can and so are you and that that doesn't mean that we can't do better tomorrow. And I think that when leaders have that mindset, they they become much more capable of seeing their employees and their colleagues more fully um, without running to generalizations that disrupt connection. And I, and I have an example. In the LPP recently, one of our participants was saying that they got really tired of the bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a common feeling for middle managers. They feel squeezed between the top of the entity and the front line. They're getting pressure from both sides. And I, I, felt, I felt for him when he was saying this. And I said, well, who is the bureaucracy? And he said, well, all my colleagues at my level and above, all the leaders that I work with. And I said, are they a group that you're not part of? And then he was like, uh, no, actually, I am a part. He's so bureaucracy. Yeah, he's part of the bureaucracy. And so what? So when we, when we stigmatize an entire group mm -hmm. in that way, we are actually blocking connection. And so for him to reframe like, well, wait a second, if I'm calling them all bureaucracy, I'm also part of the bureaucracy. What would I be doing if I was trying to connect with those bureaucrats? <laughs> in a way that was more transparent, more authentic, more real. And, right. and when I asked him, well, I was going to say when I asked him that, he was like, well, I would, I would, uh, if I was showing up in an authentic way, I would tell them the things that they're doing that I find hard to work with. Yeah. Well, that's like, that's actually what I think it boils down to, to for me after we've like talked this through for 41 minutes is that <laughs> it's all about honesty hmm. for me. The more today with the website problem. You just being honest about being like, I don't know, but this is a problem. <laughs> like, right. We've got an issue, y'all, and we got to solve it. And then yep. he's now. And then that also of like that that guy is angry at traffic, but he is traffic. Right. We're all a part of it. <laughs> but that being honest about that, about being like, I hate this. Yep. I don't like this. I don't like what we're doing. This feels weird. Because I think that level of vulnerability doesn't happen very often. Like we all get in the river and we just flow. Right. Instead of being like, why are we in the river? <laughs> like, why don't we just take the car? You know, like I yeah. think there is a level of honesty that is lacking inside of work that is often labeled as questioning. When in reality, it's just honestly asking why we are doing it this way um, and if we can change it. Yeah, absolutely. Or we can and do it how, better. Right. And how much psychological safety happens when leaders and colleagues can do that around, wow, that's an interesting question. Not sure I have an answer. Let's go to it. Let's let's totally. let's dig at it together. But it also reminds me, I was thinking about Dr. Brown's, Dr. Brene Brown's metaphor of the arena 
and thinking about how important it is to own our part when we're trying to create connections. So rather than me saying, oh, all of you have made this decision and I don't agree, when I get curious and I say, I'm struggling with this, I don't understand. And and my part in it may be that I didn't really look at it until today. Yeah. You know, now I'm being vulnerable because I'm actually putting myself right into the arena. I'm not just throwing rotten tomatoes from the sidelines. And I think yeah. that that really does create connection when we feel we're in it together. Yeah, totally. That how does that happen? Okay, well, no, I have a better question. What how do you build connection or how do you foster connection, do you think, or trust or honesty or whatever it is that you've decided to label it inside of your system? I'm speaking as like a larger you inside of a system that operates off of niceness, like weird niceness mm -hmm. and gossip. The like the statement of that's just, we just don't do that here. Right. Or, that's not how we do things here. Like how do you, if you know that you want connection, but in order to build connection, you're going to have to be vulnerable, but then you're vulnerable and then you get annihilated. That doesn't make me want to be vulnerable again. Number no. one. And it tells everybody else I was in that meeting that being vulnerable is dangerous. So what do you, what do you do? Well, I think it's a good question. And, you know, in cultures of political correctness or artificial harmony, that is commonly what happens, right? Is we all do whatever we need to do at this workplace to make it look like everything's rosy. And I think that's a real disservice to what's real for most organizations, which is that they have good times and bad times and people are are very talented and very skilled and also sometimes flawed. So I think if we find ourselves in a perfectionist organization that wants to look always like it's just perfect, then we're going to end up feeling usually some degree of, of stress because we we're trying to comply with that. The thing that I'm noticing is that I'm aware that there is never a guarantee when you build connection, when you're willing to show up as you are authentically and be vulnerable, there's never any guarantee. And it reminds me of, do you remember, I don't know if your generation did this, but in my generation, one of the most traumatic experiences of my childhood, either there are two that come to mind. They were both around the time of middle school. One was dodgeball. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. And one was the middle school dance. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I'm bringing up this trauma. So like as someone who was kind of a little geeky in middle school, I didn't have that many friends. Um, no. I had moved from one area to another. And so I was missing like my best friends. I can remember going to a middle school dance and trying really, really hard to fit in. And I finally got brave enough to ask somebody to dance. And <gasps> he said no. <laughs> And I was like devastated. You don't want to name him? I don't want, I don't want to name I don't even remember what his name was, but I remember I had like a big crush on him, you know? But, and it was devastating at the time, like emotionally, really hard. I can tap into how hard that felt. But, you know, I was what, 12 at that time? And I have danced since then with yeah. partners. I have asked people to dance. I have had a rip roaring fun time at parties. I have not, I did not use that situation as a moment to say, never will I dance again. Mm -hmm. because Billy Bob from middle school said no. And I think that's where we have to really be committed to connection because the only yeah. way I was going to get to dance was to invite somebody else or to just dance by myself or to invite a girlfriend or whatever. There were lots of other ways that I could dance if I was willing to, to do it. Um, oh, something you just said, I think is so, well, all of it. I got, yeah, I got my own demons about middle school. <laughs> I don't know why that just brought out that accent. Either, but no. <laughs> A little trauma in there, but there um, is that connection actually has to be about you, right? <laughs> it has to be about you wanting it. So it actually doesn't matter if you go into a situation and it doesn't work, right? Because it's not about them. Right. <laughs> like the fruit of that is, yeah, you get some good connection out of it for with them, but yeah. the whole point is that it's for you, right? Which I think what so if you're gonna lead for connection inside of a system. You have to have skin in the game. It's got to be for mm. you. It's got to be because you want to be a better leader. Yes. Would like to lead that way. Not because it's like good for your team. Yeah. It's good for your team. Yeah. But that, I think, I don't know. I'm like starting to yell now because I think that's like so <laughs> real. We've like never written that down. I want to put that on social. It's so good. 
Um, it's really good. It's really good because you're right. When we are willing to stand in that place of like, I'm going to ask the guy to dance because I want to dance. I want to dance. Right. I want to dance. And it's the same thing as I'm going to ask my boss for raise because I want to raise. I'm going to ask my boss if I can work hybrid because I want to work hybrid. The risk is that my boss will answer in a way that doesn't work for me, but the, that's still not the point because right. I've still taken the risk. And then I get to decide, oh, my boss said no, or my colleague said no. And now what am I going to do? How important right. is, is it to me? But I've shown up with my needs being transparent. And I think that's where the the sweaty palms come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny, the, like the risk of connection is about us, and then when and then when we, you know, when it doesn't happen, we make it about them. Right. They didn't want to connect with us. You know what I mean? Right. But it's actually still about you. Yeah. It's still just about the one person that risk risked it, and then like, okay, it didn't work out, and you did it still. Right. Yeah. Good for you. You know. Yeah. It's like. That's really cool because I think taking the power back and being just saying connection is actually just for me. It's about yeah. me. Right. It's so calming because it takes so many other players out of the game. You know? Right. Yes. I don't even need to worry about what like that guy over there thinks about my dancing skills. It's about me. Yeah. Yeah. I also asked a boy to dance. His name's Wyatt Thurston. I'll just call him out straight right now. And he didn't say yes either. Uh, and that's a bummer for him because I got good dance skills. But that's the other thing I think that um, that is I'm struck by in this conversation is that when we don't, when we choose not to connect with someone else who takes a risk to connect with us, we miss out. Yes. On them, right? Like yes. Wyatt and Billy Bob missed out on us, and that happens inside of a team too. If you if yeah. you aren't willing to connect with your team, right, when they are vulnerable with you, or they're asking for connection, yeah. or they're trying to figure that out with you, you're missing out on them. And that yeah. is a bummer. And that is a bummer. And I think it's powerful to notice that, that that's the those are the choices that you make. And you know, I've seen this a lot when we've been called into teams for mediation. You know, mm-hmm. where where I've got you know a client who calls and says I have these two employees who just really disagree and they can't work it out and they're sabotaging each other. And and in, inevitably, when I talk to those individuals privately, they both want a better relationship, but something about the way their relationship unfolded caused harm and they haven't been able to repair. And I think that's maybe, that's probably like a great place to close, right? Because I think in order to be committed at work or at home to meaningful connection, we also have to be willing to repair, um, which would look like I don't do it right the first time. I do cause offense and I'm going to circle back. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think that's powerful. And, I, yeah. and and it takes some energy, but it's so rewarding when we do repair with each other, when we do misstep and we can circle back and say, hey, you know, you you asked me for this thing and I was multitask. This happened to me recently in our team. I was talking with Joanne, who does our finance, and I was we were going through some numbers and I was distracted because I was working on something else on my computer and she called me out. She said, it looks like you're not paying attention. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. I'm not. I'm not. It's a Zoom. It's Zoom, right? And and so I stopped. And then I – and she was like, let's just schedule another time. I could tell she was offended. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do some repair. And this is a trusted partner who I've worked with for many, many years. And so I was able to very quickly, like, move into recovery. Like, yes, you're right. I was multitasking. And you deserve better. So, yes, it would be better for me to reschedule because I'm on a deadline. And I should have told you that before we started yeah. talking because it was my desire to like please her or you know not be late for the appointment that allowed me to not cancel because I was like oh I, I want you to feel that I'm there but I wasn't really able to be there so I think that's you know we have to be willing to repair oh and that isn't that interesting that you chose the obligation instead of the connection right which is very interesting just in terms of how you choose priorities right can if you're gonna lead for connection, then you need to choose the connection. Yes. When it butts up against things like obligation or I should do that thing, then you just make a choice. You just, you're making a choice that's not likely going to result in a good outcome, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the reality is that when I am able to focus, when I'm present with our finance manager, our meetings are efficient, fun, and productive, you know? So um, it makes sense that I have the right headset for those meetings. And if I don't, then I shouldn't waste her time or yours or mine or the or the chance of like erupting the connection that you have 
one of the people on our team, Cameron has this great model um, about talking about things like this. And it makes my stomach nauseous to even think about it because it's like so direct. We'll link it in the show notes. It's so great. Um, But one of the questions essentially is like asking about what something you didn't follow through on. And the second question is, what did you choose instead of that thing? Because uh-huh. <laughs> you always chose something else, you know, and like having to acknowledge it makes you want to puke. Right. Because that's the thing in connection, right? You're going to choose the other person. And if you're not going to choose that, then got to admit it if you're going to repair. Well, yeah. And you're choosing, it's so interesting. There's a lot of paradox here. You're choosing the other person, but you're also choosing yourself, right? Because you're saying, I'm going to be present for this person. And, and this is what this looks like. Um, as opposed to choosing obligation, a desire to look good, which I think at work, a lot of us do that. We choose a desire to look good rather than, um, being authentic with what it is that's in front of us. And so we erode connection. It's like the classic boss. And I've done this with you all too. I'm not trying to call out the bosses here, but you know, when we have one-on-one scheduled and I cancel them with with you or any of our team members, it is not good because I'm communicating very clearly that other things are more important. And I think I think leaders do that all the time. They yeah. know that they should meet with their people one-on-one for connection, but they reschedule or cancel those meetings multiple times, I should yeah. say we, and without realizing the impact of that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I think that sometimes can sound like, oh, we just talk about their kids. Right. Right, it's easy. We'll just do it in another time. But the impact is very large. Well, it is. And, and if I'm really connecting, I'm not only talking about your kids. I'm talking about how is the work going? Where are you stuck? How can I help? What do you need? You know, I, what do I need? Like, and that that's all in many ways, even more vulnerable than the social chit chat of how was the play date last Saturday? You know what I mean? Totally. Um, so there's a lot of paradoxes here about what we think connection is and what it really is. But here's what I know, May, when people feel seen at work, when they feel that their their people around them, the team and the boss gets them for their unique self, they let the armor down and they start performing wildly successfully. Like that's what I see play out over and over again. Well, that's where we're going to (laughs) end. So let's do more of that feel better. Thank you. Thanks, May. Bye.